Hi there, I'm Kathy Valentin, and this is the Good, the God, and the Ugly podcast, where we're talking about the good, the God, and the ugly moments of life. Life is just full of ups and downs, but there's a treasure to be found in every challenge. Join me as I talk with people that have impacted my life, those who have found a treasure in a challenge, or whom simply I just love and want you to meet. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of The Good, the God, and the Ugly. And we're going to be talking about community. And I've asked my granddaughter-in-law, that's a mouthful, (laughs) granddaughter-in-law, to come and join me today. You're going to have to excuse my nasally sound here. I'm getting over a cold and just sound a little different, but that's okay. (laughs) It's so funny. Growing up, I remember always kind of blubbing when you had a cold or something because your voice sounded different. You're like, ooh, I'm a little nasally. It's so funny. Uh, or when you're a singer and you have kind of a sore throat and you get this uh-huh. deep raspy, the raspy voice blues sound. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I think we're getting off subject Maybe. here. I know. <laughs> I was got a little distracted there. <laughs> All right. Well, today we're talking about community, the, good, the God and the ugly of community, right? Yes. So exciting. It is. I'm so excited to be here and get to have a little conversation with you. This should be fun. It'll be very fun. Yeah. Okay. Well, I. This podcast will, this structure will be a little different because I'm going to be asking you some questions. Woohoo. Are you ready? Be nice to me. <laughs> I know. I got loads, <laughs> lots to ask. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I'm excited though because truly, if you have read your book, it's filled with so many, my goodness, just recounts of moments of, you know, community and how you've poured into it mm-hmm. and how people have poured back into you. And it's mm-hmm. really inspiring. So I just was left so inspired by so many of the stories in your book and just moments I've even seen that in your own life, um, even still, just how you're continually surrounded by community and you pour into people so well. So excited for others to hear how this all goes down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay. I kind of want to take it back to the very beginning. And this is something I actually don't really know much about, but I've heard you mention before um, how when you were growing up as a little girl, your your mom was ill, right? Or she was sick? She, um, she was. She had um, severe bouts with epilepsy and she had since she was like eight years old. Oh, wow. So it's something that she had dealt with for years and years and years. That is wild. Yeah. And then you ended up kind of caretaking for her, right? When you were a child? Well, there would be times where my my dad was at work all all the time. He mm-hmm. he just worked really long hours. And my mom would have seizures. She would probably have during certain times of the month, she would have probably 30, 40 seizures. A month. Oh, sometimes in a day or, or oh, sometimes in like a week. Oh my word. Um, yeah, for a short period of time. And so she, they weren't grand mal seizures. She didn't like fall on the ground. Okay. And she had a, just a couple seconds warning that she was going to have one. Um, so she tried to put herself to bed. And of course, me being really little, I can remember probably, oh, being in second grade. No, it wasn't second grade. I don't know. I was really young anyway. Um, My mom having seizures and me staying home with her until she came around enough to be able to take care of herself. And then off to school, I go. Wow. And yeah, it was really sad. And so she she did the best that she could with 
trying to take care of herself. But, um, you know, I was the oldest of two. Wow. So you ended up. So I ended up taking care of her at a young age. That's so crazy. But you still continued to go to school and everything. You weren't. I did. My, my instructor or my teachers just knew the The situation situation at home and. Wow. Yeah. That's so wild. So as a kid, you kind of had a lot of responsibility. I had a lot of responsibility and I think that's why I grew up so fast. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Did you have community or, you know, what did friendship look like in that season if you, you know, had such great responsibility as such a young kid? Well, as far as community, um, my grandparents were always around and I love my grandparents. They were amazing people. And yeah, my grandma was my hero. Wow. And they would, you know, they would help as much as possible, but they weren't living with us and we weren't living with them, but they would take my sister and I on the weekends. And I can just remember great memories of doing things at their house. And um, we didn't have, we weren't really close to our other relatives in which Mm -hmm. we didn't really have many relatives. Yeah. But so our, our community was pretty much our immediate family. Mm. Yeah. I never had like lots of brothers and sisters. So I didn't come from a right background of many siblings. Yeah. But you had your, you had your great, or you had your grandparents, grandparents that, that were there yeah. to kind of be support and yeah, what could be kind of a lot of work for a little kid. Yeah. That's, that's wild. But, um, I also, you then met Chris though, when mm-hmm. you were quite young still and, um, you guys got married rather young. Quite I know, young. I know you've shared this story before, but it's like record breaking, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> we started dating when I was 12 and got engaged when I was 13, including so ring, crazy. everything. That is so wild. I know. And Did then, you have other friends that were engaged at 13? Was this like a common thing? No, not at 13. I was the youngest one, but I did have girlfriends that got married early, like I oh, did. Wow. Yeah, a few of them. Yeah, in fact, it was interesting at the last class reunion that we went to the girl that got married. In fact, it was a girl and a guy that went to school together. Mm. They were a few months older than me. They're still married. Really? Yeah. They were the first ones in school to get married. Oh my goodness. That was kind of fun. It's nice to know that marriages are lasting. Right. Young marriages are lasting. Yeah. Yeah. That is encouraging. So did you and Chris have strong community then when you first got married? Like, did you have other young coupled friends or? We had a mentor mm-hmm. um, when we got saved. Um, it was, it was really fun. Ken Hughes, which he was a leader of this group called the Hallelujah Singers. Yeah. And he said, when we gave our life to the Lord, he said, okay, now you need to have um, a mentor in your life to kind of mm-hmm. help you walk through things and talk to and just yeah. be accountable to. And so we chose this one man, Art Kipperman, man. He was like two years older than us, <laughs> <laughs> but he was older than us. And he, um, he and his wife, Kathy, had been married just probably three weeks before we had. So, um, oh, wow. So they weren't much, they weren't much farther along in their journey. They weren't. We ended wow. up having kids together and oh, hung wow. out together. And so, but he was, we didn't have a whole lot of, I would say, community around us when we first got married. Yeah. Um, Chris was working so much. He was working 12 to 14 hours. 
Wow. And if you remember, that's when he had his first nervous breakdown. Right. It was right during that time. Right. And you were pregnant during that time, right? Very pregnant. Mm-hmm. And you were sick. Mm-hmm. Did you feel the lack of community in that season? Um, I felt kind of alone because I didn't know, you know, many people there. Moved yeah. away from my hometown that's of Fremont. Right. And you guys had Sunnyvale. Oh, you were San Jose. Oh, okay. Wow. So you so you hadn't moved to Weaverville yet, but yet. No. Okay. No, we were still in the big city. Wow. Yeah, that's in that's intense stuff to walk through though. I would I say know. the closest people we had in our life was our boss, hmm. which is um was Bill Mann. And he, he owned the station that Chris managed for years. That's right. And he followed us up here when we moved. Wow. So we did, everything that we did was probably with them. With them, yeah. And this couple that you had um, as mentors in your life, what were their names again? Art and Kathy. Art and Kathy. Did you guys seek out that relationship or is it something that just like naturally happened? Um. And well, we were seeking it out because we were told that we needed a mentor in our life to help us walk through this new commitment that we made to Jesus. So it started out with, you will do this. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just turned into a love relationship. We did lots of things. And she got pregnant at the same time I got pregnant. And we just had a lot of things in common. Yeah. What did the relationship look like naturally when you were seeking it out? I'm just like curious for people listening that are like, maybe even feeling like they don't have people of the same faith around them and they're looking for somebody that's like a mentor and looking to reach out to somebody, you know, that can kind of guide them. Like you probably took the first steps in that, right. In reaching out and, and asking them, I don't know, to come over for dinner or, you know, what did that kind of look Actually, like? Actually, they, it was opposite. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the two guys that were offered to us as far as mentoring, us. Oh, you guys were offered. They were, they were they were there. They were like standing in front of us and art and and Ken said, I'll never forget this. He, he said, So which one of these men would you like to mentor and disciple you guys? Oh, that so is like, too funny. When Chris makes a joke, he chose art because he was the better looking one. <laughs> <laughs> that is so and so just right there in front of both of them, you're like, Well, I'll go with the better looking one. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> That is so funny. But so that, that relationship kind of just, you know, kind of naturally formed then after you, did you hang out with them once a week or what did that look like? Yeah. Once a week for, for quite a while, for months. And then it was, yeah. Would you bring them like questions and. Oh, you know, I don't even remember the details and the logistics of the, the nitty gritty parts of it. I just remember we had. Bible studies mm. and home groups and that's some bonding uh-huh. right there. <laughs> and then talking about babies and raising families and right. Yeah. And that was that was in the Bay Area, right? Uh-huh. That, okay. And then you guys eventually moved to Weaverville. We did. Okay. So I I feel like I've always had this timeline a little mixed up. I I didn't realize you weren't in Weaverville before you had Jamie. Before you had your firstborn. Nope. She was like four months old. Oh, okay. So right after. So then y'all moved to Weaverville and that was even farther away than from your hometown. Oh right? yeah. And it was a small mountain town, yeah. totally different culture and 
environment. Mm-hmm. Totally starting from scratch, right? Oh, very much so. We didn't yeah. know anybody. I mean, we'd come up, we'd come up to Weaverville to go fishing when Chris had a nervous breakdown just to get away from the city for a while. Wow. So we knew, well, we knew one couple. That was it. Wow. But we just knew how good we felt when we were up here. Wow. It was like, like a breath of fresh air. Yeah, literally. And <laughs> so peaceful. And, and, you know, we thought moving Chris up here would be great because life is slower and mm-hmm. pace is slower and your heart beats slower. And <laughs> right. Everything just seems so a little bit anxiety. more simple. No. Yeah, that's crazy. So then, and you were at that point, now you have kids and I'm assuming y'all are working full time now as well. Chris was definitely working full time. Um, His boss in the Bay or our boss in the Bay Area ended up moving up with us. So we ended up knowing, um, you know, them still hung out with them a lot, got involved in a church right away, which that was life saving. Um, yeah, and I don't know if you've never if you've never grown up in a small town, you are missing out on so much. Oh, Talk about man. community where everybody knows everybody, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they know it all. <laughs> they know it all. They know it all, and everything happens at the post office. I mean, you cross your wow. cross paths with your neighbors and your friends and right. It's kind of a watering hole. Right. doesn't feel as isolating. No, it really doesn't. And coming from a mountain community or even a small town, town, you truly depend upon your neighbors and your friends. Yeah. You can't get, you can't get by without them. Right. You know, I grew up in Los Angeles, Oh man! which if you can imagine the hustle and the bustle and all the, beautiful and chaotic things of a big city. And I moved to Reading, which isn't even as, as small <laughs> as Weaverville. But to me, it was like, oh, I'm going to, Shock. yeah, I was like, I'm going to small town USA. Here I am guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember that, that same thing you, that you're talking about of, you don't, you don't know why you're going to Weaverville. You just know how, how it makes you feel. Uh-huh. Like, I just remember that, like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that that pace isn't really normal. Like that's a really quick pace of life in Los Angeles. Oh, and yeah. you, you know, I just, I remember my last season in LA was, was a really hard season for me. And I felt so isolated and so alone. Mm. And I was in my senior year of university and I was at a massive public university surrounded by thousands of people, but I felt so alone in the midst mm-hmm. of these people because you didn't rely on your neighbor. It's mm-hmm. it wasn't that same camaraderie and feeling. And similarly like when I when I came to, to writing my heart was just yearning for close friends and close community. Mm-hmm. And I feel like oh, I realized actually how much life community brings. It actually really like ignites your your spirit and your soul alive. Our Weaverville friends were our family. Yeah. We were both you know, our, both our parents were alive and on both sides and we had, you know, we were moved five hours away from them right? and they had little kids. And so we needed, we needed community around us. And by the time the kids started in school, then you were involved in activities for school. 
you know, soccer, soccer games, practice, baseball, right. football, right. Um, basketball, all these events that, that parents got involved in and everybody knew everybody's kids' names and parents all knew each other. And right. it just, it was, you know, if something needed to be done, like I can remember um, making jam and stuff and there'd be a bunch of women that would come over all making wow. jam together or putting up pickles or right. working in a garden or going to pick blackberries. Right. It's just, you know, we did things together. We're so in a similar. bigger city. And I feel like for me, I feel like Reading is a big city. Yeah, that is just <laughs> hysterical. <laughs> Allie, I remember when we, oh, when we finally moved to Reading, I was shocked. It took really? me over a year to kind of um, settle in. Just knowing that I could go out at seven or eight p.m. and go grocery shopping—that <laughs> there was a store so open. Funny. I could get gas. I could go to a movie. I could, I could go to a roller skating rink if I wanted to. Oh my gosh! I mean, in Weaverville, everything would shut down at like eight o'clock, and there wasn't <laughs> anything else open except for the bars. <laughs> and you'd have to drive for an hour to get anything, basically, except for your you know, a few staples and stuff. Oh, that is so funny. So that- I remember I was, it was just like, you know, you see pictures of kids in a can- at a standing at a candy <laughs> counter and their mouth is just dropped open and their eyes are shining and they're like looking around like, I can't believe all this that's surrounding me. Uh-oh. That's exactly how I felt <laughs> coming to Reading. Like, there are so many choices. Oh my god. I don't goodness. know if I could make this many, you know. Right. Was it exciting? It was exciting, but it was overwhelming. Yeah, I can imagine a little like overstimulating. Yeah, it's like you could go shopping. Mm-hmm. And now I look at Reading thinking we don't have any shopping. You're like, what here. is this? I was going to say that is just hysterical because I came here and I was like, what? Like everything closes at six? Like, <laughs> I mean, not really six. Things are, things are open a little bit later than that. But to me, it felt like, oh my gosh, this I place really shuts this, down. I can see where this was- like a really small. Oh yeah. To you. But it's, there's something that's comforting about it where I'm like, I, d- I think that sense of loneliness or isolation, like just completely went away in a sense, like, because you go to the store here and you are bound to see somebody that, you know, Oh my gosh. You can't go to a coffee it. shop without <laughs> seeing 10 people, you know, you know, we're back home. I could go weeks if I didn't arrange to see somebody. Mm-hmm. So just such a different, and both are great. Like, you know, I think I learned how to be really intentional living in a big city because you had to be, mm-hmm. you had to be really intentional. And I think that's still is such a key, even in a small town. Intentionality is just key for relationship, yeah, key for I, life. I think Chris and I are not very good at attention. Uh, um, Tensionality? Tensionality, get the word out there. What makes you say that? I think since we've come to Bethel, you know, our responsibilities are, Mm. are pretty high and we're around people all the time. Mm. For Chris, he needed some solitude. He needed to kind of back away from right. people. Right. And so we just were never good at intentionally having bunches of people over or even bunches or a few couples over. Right. So we've had to probably in the last five years, we've done better. Mm. We're making more friends. You know, a lot of times people say, you must have an awful lot of friends. 
Mm. My mom always said, if you have a handful of friends, you're a blessed person. Yes. Because we know tons of people, but we don't have a lot of close friends. Yeah, deep friendship. Deep friendships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's those that have come with us from Weaverville that we've been friends with forever. Right. But we don't, you know, it's a different season and we don't see them like we used to every day when we were in Weaverville. Right. And it's, I think, um, you know, for us, we're just trying to purposely seek out relationships. Right. With a handful of people. Right. That intentional piece. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, being in the position that Chris is in, lots of people are trying to get his time. Yeah. So, and I'm always like trying to protect that time and his PA is always trying to protect, yes. you know, protect him. Well, absolutely. From things. And so, yeah, there's a balancing act. I was going to ask about that just in somewhat of the, I guess I have a few questions, but in that transition from small town and then obviously transitioning into rather large leadership roles, even global leadership roles, you know, at a, at a global movement, you totally step into a different position and your time is maxed out and what you have capacity for changes and where you're investing your time changes. And, you know, you even, you spoke to the point of even the people that you did life with in Weaverville and that have, you know, that are also in Reading now too, the, the season's different. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering like, did, was there any sort of like growing pains or, or grief in the transition of, of that? Um, there was, especially for me, because mm-hmm. everything, you know, it revolved around our family and our kids and then right. the kids start leaving. And then pretty soon it's only, you know, you and him. Right. And your life changes once again, mm-hmm. like it did when you first started having kids. What a major transition. I don't feel like people speak into that so often either. Like, I mean, like empty nesting, you hear people say that term, but what a massive transition. Like your life has revolved around something for years. And all of a sudden those some things are gone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They just fly away. (laughs) They come back with more. Yeah. That's really, I mean, that's encouraging Mm -hmm. to hear though. Like, but there's a, there's a blessing that comes on the other side of that too. Very much so. What did that transition sort of look like for community with you and Chris? Did you did you find, you know when our kids were gone yeah. when they moved out? Yeah. Um, we found out that we had a lot more time on our hands. Because <laughs> you you know, you're not running to games, games watching the kids. And, and yeah. sometimes it would they were involved in, you know, we had four four kids in high school and they were involved in all different kinds of sports. And so we'd have to split up our time. You know, Kristen would go to one game and I would go to the next game and mm-hmm. just to support the kids. And then they were on, they had, um, I don't know what you'd call them, but they, they were on a, oh, a travel, like a traveling team. Oh yeah. Yeah. So you're constantly gone. Gone doing all the different things. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden your kids move out and you have all this extra time. Mm. So it's like, rediscovering each other all over again. That's really beautiful. And it's a, that's actually a great time to be able to reach out for more community around you. Yeah. Just because you have the time. Right. 
Do you feel like that is what happened with you? Did you feel like you guys began to reach out to community in different ways when your kids left? Well, when our kids were leaving, when Jason, that he had, we moved to Reading, and Marty and Jamie, our daughter and mm-hmm. daughter and son-in-law, moved into our house in Weaverville, oh. and Jason stayed back because he was a senior in high school. Oh my we, goodness, we I did moved, not know yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> we moved to Reading when Jay was still in school. I had no clue. Okay, so wow. He wasn't even completely gone. And we moved to Reading. <laughs> and then of course going from being a you know, a mechanic to a pastor, that's a huge oh my gosh, transition. So different. Yeah. So he was yeah, he was very much trying to wrap his arms around what does this new position look like for me. Right. Right. That is such a transition. Mm-hmm. And I think you, that you kind of spoke into this, but even just a transition in, man, I spend my whole day with people now, counseling people, yeah, when you know, in come, meetings with people. When he came home, he, people were the last thing he wanted to see. Exactly. Because every person posed a problem. <laughs> right. You know, people weren't making appointments to say, let me tell you about this wonderful thing that's been happening right. to me. You know, it was all counseling and, uh-huh. and, Hard stuff, you know. Right. And we counsel lots of people on bar stools and at our parts store, but never. <laughs> yeah, never all day long. Never all day, and getting paid for doing something like that is like, wow, this is really serious. You just can't, yeah, pat them on the back and say it'll be better tomorrow, right? So, yeah, by the time he would get, you know, come home, he would be just beat, just wiped, wiped with people. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I can remember. Oh gosh. I don't know if I told you this before. I can remember um, we had a, a published phone number. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. No. Okay. You have to tell this story. We, have, this. we had a published phone number, and Chris kept saying, we need to get an, an, an you know published phone number. And I'm like, no, people, they won't know how to get a hold of me. And, <laughs> and we went out to dinner and came home, and there was like, 30 some odd phone messages on in one night on our phone. <laughs> and every single one was somebody crying or an emergency. This is an emergency. I'm sorry for calling you at home, but blah, 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 blah. Oh the next gosh. one was, I need some help. And can you, I, I was told that you could help me. And, and Chris is like, this is what I'm dealing with every single day. I cannot come home. And continue. To, and yeah. Because you have yes. to. You have to have some kind of a refuge. Right. You need to refresh. And yeah, I think as a leader, you, we, you know, almost don't realize that the humanity in it, in it too. I know. So Just I finally like, got it. I'm like, okay, honey, I understand. I see what you're talking about. Yeah. This is a little much. We'll unpublish our phone. Uh-huh. <laughs> that is, yeah, that's so, so real and so wild. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's just, it's hard because everybody wants you to be their mentor, mm-hmm. you know, and here we talk about mentoring and discipleship yeah. and, and then people turn around and say, will you do that for me? Right. And then it just crushes my heart. Cause I'm like, yeah. I have a whole school of people that are wanting, you know, to love for us to do that in their lives mm-hmm. that have set aside nine months to be with us. And we just can't, you know, do that to the degree that they're for thousands for. of students. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I've heard you guys speak to this. At, at least I think I've heard Chris speak to this. Of you know, we are, we're in a you know in an environment where there are so many different leaders that have been raised up and 
are available to mentor, even reaching out to grandparents and grandpas, just even in your community, like they have years of wealth and wisdom and yeah. And there's so much that those people could give back to the people that are mentoring them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very true. Yeah. Um, had another thought that just went fleeting away. Oh, I hate that one. Oh, I was going to say one thing I have seen you guys cultivate very well though, is community within your own family. Mm, Yeah. Like, I feel like, you know, you say you're, you're growing and I think it's cool to hear a leader say, no, I'm still learning how to be intentional in relationship and growing community and shifting and changing seasons. Cause that's something that changes for your whole life really. But one thing I, I have seen you do so well is, you know, creating intentional time with family. And it feels like community feels like family and family often is community. Mm-hmm. Um, but your Sunday dinners are such an intentional time of just time together with people. Yeah. That's one thing we started about two years ago and it's been probably, I'd have to say one of the best things that we've ever done for our family. Yeah. It's every Sunday you guys know that four o'clock we're going to mm-hmm. do dinner and I'll change the menu up. And sometimes it's, you know, fancy and other times it's pizza. Right. You know, it's not what you're eating that makes it so special. It's the gathering everybody together. Right. Um, the only ones that aren't able to come are our kids that are, you know, on the coast because it's so far right. away. Yeah. But we, um, yeah, it's just a time to laugh and talk and share and catch up and encourage and right. prophesy over and. Yeah. And now we have the babies that are coming and Yeah, there's a whole new like generation of babies around. <laughs> I know. It's been yeah. really fun. Watching. You're a great grandma now. I'm a great grandma. Misha had a baby. I know. So exciting. Talk about all the transitions always. There's always something new happening. <laughs> there is. I can't wait to see him again. Gosh. Aww. I feel like ooh, I know I know how my mom must feel with us being so yes. far away from her. Yes. But at least there's FaceTime and yeah, you still get to see pictures and yeah. and all sorts of things. Yeah. yeah, that's it's so true. Um, I was thinking maybe you could just share some pieces of encouragement or wisdom with somebody that I don't know. Maybe you could speak to a few different people. Maybe the person that has just felt alone and isolated and is trying to seek out community. Or maybe the person that has community, but they're they're trying to create community that's like healthy and and life giving. What would you encourage them to do? I think with both of those um, categories of people, I would say just make sure that you are giving out and that you're just not receiving. You're not mm. just taking, but you're giving also. That is so good. A lot of times, people will, you know, I'll, I'll sit with them and they'll say. I don't have any friends and nobody, nobody wants to be around me. They don't seem to like me. They, you know, just kind of on and on. I seem to be left mm-hmm. alone a lot. And my, my question to them is usually always, what are you bringing to the relationship? What are you, what, what what's your contribution? It's really good. You know, what does it look like when you guys are together? What do you mm-hmm. talk about? And most of the time their answer is very quiet and then they'll see that everything is about me, myself, and I. Wow. And people yeah. don't want to be around a sucker. No relationship is a two-way it's a two-way street. street. It's a give yeah. and it's a take. Mm-hmm. And if you're always a taker, people are there that 
that's exhausting. Yeah. So I've never seen anybody that's pushed somebody away because somebody's been trying to help them out too mm. much. Yeah. You know, people are people love real. They right. love they love healthy relationships. Yeah. But it's a two-way street. It's a give and it's a take. Right. And actually what a beautiful gift it is when you you realize when you you can be a friend to somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, and you you realize you're impacting somebody's life and it's giving and it, life back to you. So true. And it doesn't have to be, you know, an everyday occurrence. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be a once a week, it could be once a month. Right. Some relationships are once a year, but there's still a relationship, an ongoing relationship where there's mm-hmm. connection and a card, a, a text message. There's, we have yeah. no excuses anymore. <laughs> that is we true. Have no excuse. There all. are subtle ways in big and in small ways too, yeah. to encourage someone and yeah. be there for them. Yeah, that's really true. Every so often I'll get a text message just sent to me and just saying, just thinking about you and how are you doing? And miss you and we need to go on a horse ride again soon Mm. just those little one-liners are like somebody was thinking about me today yeah it's huge Mm -hmm. that's so impactful well this was so wonderful i'm so glad we got to sit down and just chat i hope this just brings lots of wisdom and insight to people um in regards to community and how to cultivate it for yourself it was so sweet thank you yeah thank you thank you for being on with us today course anytime (laughs) don't say that (laughs) you'll see me next week (laughs) all right well have a great week everybody